WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The weekend, she is upon us. And if you believe your phone's weather app, it could be a snowy one. And that is a perfect time for some hot competition playing rousing board games. Board games can last anywhere from three minutes to many, many hours. They can be simple or complicated, and they can bring together groups of people around the tabletop for some quality time that can feel all too rare these days. So joining us now from Board Game Central is Andrew Lynch, Community Development and Inventory Manager at The Brooklyn Strategist. Andrew, welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. Listeners, we want to hear about your favorite board games. Give us a call, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692 to tell us what you like to play at your game night, or maybe you're looking for a recommendation for a new game based on some of the others that you like and love, or any other questions you might have for Andrew Lynch, Brooklyn Strategist, Community Development, and Inventory Manager. Our phone lines are wide open for board game enthusiasts, 212 212- 433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. You can call in, join us on air, or you can text to us if that's more convenient. You can use that same number. Our socials are available as well at all of it, WNYC. So Andrew, for folks who don't know about Brooklyn Strategists, can you explain how you and your colleagues think about your role in the board game community of New York? Absolutely. So the Brooklyn Strategist is is a board game cafe that's been open for about 12 years now. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have tables available for people to come in. So we certainly think of ourselves as being a social hub and part of the community. We also have a robust after school program, which is actually the heart of the business. Mm -hmm. That's where most of our our customers come from. Uh, And that's really great because I've been there for about two years now. uh, But there there are kids who have been there for many times longer than I've been there who have grown up in the store. Uh, who we oh, really right. get to know as people. And so as they get older and they, you know, their impact in the community develops, then we have that connection, which is really nice. So I think the store certainly emphasizes the social aspects of board games that you mentioned in the intro. It's great. It seems like it's a third place for some people. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about the categories of board games, because this might help people understand what kind of games they might like Mm -hmm. and what they might not like. What are some of the main categories of board games? Uh, Broad, there are a lot of ways you can split that up. uh, But generally speaking, I think the big divisions are you've got party games, which are the games that I think most people are going to end up playing. Mm -hmm. Those are things that are usually great for accommodating a large number of players. If you've got six or seven people over for the evening, you can pull out a copy of a party game and just get going. They usually have a very minimal rule set, so they're quick to teach and you get straight to the fun. They also are usually very interactive. So you're constantly talking to each other, you're you're constantly laughing, making jokes, uh, those kinds of things. Um, then moving on from that, you have modern games that are more like the games that existed 
20 or 30 years ago. Uh, they're much better than Monopoly or Snakes and Ladders, mm -hmm. but they're not much more complicated. Uh, and then you start to get into the really heavy stuff. You get into what uh, in the hobby we call Euro games because uh, they were very popular in Europe for a long time before they came over here. Uh, those are very rules dense. They can take a long time mm -hmm. to learn. There's usually a lot of math. There's not usually a lot of surprises and there's not usually a ton of interaction, which will be decisive for some people as to whether or not they like them. Gotcha. I was thinking about the uh, party games. Over the holiday, we played Name That Tune with Kazoos. Mm. Oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, that is actually quite a bit of fun. Um, people like the classics. Some people love, say, I stick with Monopoly, I stick with Battleship, Trouble, Clue. What are two or three games for people who like the classics that you would say, let's expand the palette a bit? Absolutely. Um it really does depend. And so, you know, if I'm in the store and someone comes in and they're looking for that, I will usually make a pile of about five to six games and sort of talk them mm -hmm. through them. Uh, but I think some generally good ones to pick up if you are new to modern games, uh, I think Splendor is really good, which is very popular. It's called a tableau building game. So you're the theme of it is that you were gem dealers during the Renaissance. And mm -hmm. so you are buying gem mines and trying to make it so you can buy more expensive gem mines. And the first person to get enough of them wins. Uh, mm -hmm. Pretty quick to teach, and it takes about 30 minutes to play. Uh, another popular one, you know, Catan is obviously a very popular game. Still sells well 30 years after it came out, mm -hmm. uh, and that, that does very well. I think Carcassonne is another really good one because that's going to give you something a little different. That's a tile-laying game where you're mm -hmm. trying to build cities and roads and have your workers get the majority of the credit for building them, so you score points off of that. Those are pretty good. Those are three good examples. Phone lines are filling up. Let's take some calls. Kristen is calling in from Brooklyn. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for calling all of it. Hi, first time uh, caller. I love board games and I got really into them during the pandemic. Two of my favorites are photosynthesis, in which each player is playing as a species of tree and you are kind of placing your trees in this landscape. Is that the sun circles the board? I find that one very unique. And lots of fun. Another favorite of mine is Takedo, which is set in the historic Takedo Road in Japan. And I think that one I really love because it's not as aggressive as a lot of multiplayer games can be. The premise is that you're all enjoying a nice vacation, trying to collect the most experiences. And that's two to five players. And again, just really charming. Kristen, thanks for calling in. Let's talk to David, who's calling in from LA. Hey, David, thanks for calling in. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, happy to be on and uh, happy you're talking about games. I was just calling because I, I like playing Magic with my friends, which is, uh, I guess, is stretching the definition of board game, but I think it's pretty close. And there are a lot of people playing multiplayer versions of it. And depending on how you do it, it can be pretty easy to do. Absolutely. We at the store have a, a very robust magic community. There's a magic event going on most days. Uh, so a, a quick version for people mm -hmm. who don't know it. Magic the Gathering is a, a collectible card game or a trading card game. Uh, there are thousands upon thousands of cards. Uh, and what you do is you get cards and you build your own deck. And so the decks have their own approaches. Some of them are very aggressive. Some of them are mm -hmm. sneaky. There's there's a lot going on. It's a very complicated game and you get into the weeds of it. Uh, but the, the fun the appeal of it is that you get to build your deck with your cards. And so mm -hmm. the decks will have the the imprimatur of the person who owns them, which makes it a more personal experience. It's a very fun game. Got a question from Robin calling in from Brooklyn. Hi, Robin. Thanks for calling all of it. 
Hey, there, uh, first-time listener. I'm super excited. Um, so question for uh, Mr. Mr. Lynch. Uh, you know, I, I like playing with my friends. I'm a pretty big airplane enthusiast as well, uh, and, and I like a challenge. What, what would you recommend? You're, you're a pretty big airplane enthusiast? Yeah, yeah, I like um, you know every you know grew up grew up going to the airport. Yeah, I was just I was just making sure I heard that right. Uh, so one of my favorite games that came out last year is a two player game called Sky Team. Sky Team, I think, was custom created in a lab for you, Robin. Uh, it is a cooperative game where you and your teammate are working together to uh, place dice on a board to try and land a plane before you run out of time. Um, it's, you're not, the, the cool thing about it is you are not allowed to talk to each other. So you, you can't communicate what dice you have and the, the difference in the numbers on your dice and where you place them is going to be very important. It becomes a very tense, very sweaty game. I, I like it quite a bit. Robin, good luck. We had another actual question about two person games. Someone right. else wanted to know, you know, maybe you're just with your partner, yeah. your, your BFF, and that's it. That's all you want. That's yeah. all you want to have contact with. Absolutely. <laughs> What's another good two-person game? I love two-player games, and there are a wealth of them. Uh, some cla- I'll go through a couple pretty quickly. Some classics are Patchwork, which is a tile-laying game themed around making quilts. Uh, a recent one that I really like is called Mandala, which is a very strange card game, but it's, it's wonderful. Uh, and then another one, if you're looking for a more involved game, there's an entire section of board games called historical games, also mm-hmm. sometimes called war games, although nowadays they're not necessarily about war. Uh, and within that field, uh, the titan of two-player games is probably Twilight Struggle, which is themed on the Cold War. It takes about four to five hours to play once you know how to play it. So that's mm-hmm. an investment. Um, but another one that's a, a magnificent game that came out last year is called Votes for Women, which is a two-player game where one of you is the suffragette movement and the other is the opposition. It takes about 80 to 90 minutes to play. It is surprisingly quick to learn, and it's one of my very favorite board games. You're going to have to flip a coin to see who's who. You do, you do <laughs> actually. There are certain games where it's really hard to take one of the two sides, and that is one of them, yeah. My guest is Andrew Lynch, Community Development and Inventory Manager at the Brooklyn Strategist. We are talking about upping your board game game, so to speak. Our number is 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. Maybe you want to share your favorite board game. Tell us what you like to play on your game night, or maybe you're looking for a recommendation for a new game and have a question for Andrew. 212-433-9692, 212-433-WNYC. You can call in, join us on air, or you can text to us at that number. Social media is available as well at all of it. WNYC. Okay, we'll get the callers and the screeners time to catch up. I'm going to have a few more questions for you. I'm ready. All right. What is a good game for someone just wants to keep it simple? Has enough intrigue at work? Has <laughs> enough complication in their life? Uh, how, how many players would be my question? I'm going to assume this person has three friends. So let's say four players. Okay, this person has three friends. Great. We love when a person has three <laughs> friends. Um, a really good game for someone who wants to keep it simple. I mentioned Carcassonne before. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good one. If you want something... Yeah, there are a lot of really good card games that work great at four players. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of trick-taking games, which has been a very popular genre of game in the last year. Uh, for people at home, trick-taking games you may have heard of are Hearts, Spades, mm-hmm. Euchre, games where you're playing one card in the middle and the person who plays the strongest card gets to to collect those cards. Uh, Seas of Strife is an example. Pretty simple, although it does have 
emotionally, it has a lot of intrigue. It's a very mm -hmm. simple game. So depending on the, how much this person wants to avoid the intrigue of work, they may actually want to stay away from Seas of Strife. Uh, but that's a good one. A lot of these games are really beautifully designed and, and well designed. And yep. there's a setting and yep. a theme. But I'm not sure that's, you can tell me, is that enough to judge a game by when you pick up the box? Absolutely not. What uh, should I be looking for in the box? Well, the, the here's the thing. Uh, the design of board games, and in this case, meaning the aesthetic design rather than the game design, which is a, a separate thing. Um, the aesthetic design of games has more or less been perfected as a science at this point. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the design of games in terms of the mechanics has also kind of... There are not a lot of games that come out now that are bad. There are a lot of games that come out now that are fine. <laughs> the bar has been heightened, but mm -hmm. more games hit that bar, I would say now. Um, so if you see a game where you love the theme and you love the art, go for it. Honestly, that's probably enough because mm. it will probably be at least fine. And if you love the setting, that's going to get you most of the way there. If you're someone like me who's broken in some ways. Uh, there's more research you have to do to try to figure <laughs> out if you're actually going to like the game or not, because I'm very picky at this point. Understandably. Yeah. You're a connoisseur. Right, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk to Reed from Garden City. Hi, Reed. Thanks for calling in. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I wanted to mention a board game called Wingspan. Mm -hmm. um, it involves uh, collecting birds and putting them in different environments, and they can lay eggs and uh, you have to balance all these different elements and there's also really beautiful pictures of the birds. Yeah, the illustrations and, by Beth Sobel are gorgeous. Right, and one of the things uh, you have to figure out along the way is that it's hard to get rid of some of the birds because uh, or trade them because they're so nice looking and cute and you just want to hold on to them and have them in your in your play area and not get rid of them. Yeah, can you explain? Uh, give people a sense of what Wingspan is about. Absolutely, I mean that was that was. We've heard it's tough. That was a pretty good explanation. Okay. Um, I have been so Wingspan came out in 2018 or 19. I'm not sure which, and it has been massively successful ever since then. I'm actually a little perplexed by how popular it's been, only because it is. A, I teach games professionally. I do it all mm -hmm. the time. Wingspan is a bear to teach. <laughs> It is just very difficult to, to teach. <laughs> Juliana's like, please teach me. All right. <laughs> I can do that. We can, we can figure that out. Um, it, yeah, it is, it is a weirdly, the mechanics of it don't quite click together thematically in a way that makes it an mm -hmm. elegant game to teach. But people do love it. And I think that is mostly because it is very pastoral. You're talking about a game that's mm -hmm. very relaxing to play. I mean, if you get the computer version of that game uh, on Steam, uh, it has bird sounds and this really nice guitar music. And it's just, it's a bath of birds. It's a bird bath. Kate, you must be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Insiders understand that. My guest is Andrew Lynch, Community Development and Inventory Manager at the Brooklyn Strategist. We are talking about board games. We're going to get to our callers, Holly, Jesse, and Ben, who are holding to share their games. We'll talk a little bit about how to make a good game night. And I have questions about etiquette. All right. After the break. This is All of It from WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. My guest is Andrew Lynch, Community Development and Inventory Manager at Brooklyn Strategists. We're talking board games. 
Uh, I got a text. My wife and I highly recommend Azul for two to four players. Yep. It takes about 40 minutes to play. Very addictive and deliciously competitive. I almost recommended that earlier when you were asking for some good intro level games. Azul is a wonderful game. It's great at two, three, and four players. And the more you play it, the more violent it gets. It's a magnificent game. But it's azul. It's blue. It's beautiful. It's got beautiful little plastic <laughs> tiles that look like starbursts, and you want to eat them, but you can't eat them. <laughs> that would be bad. Yeah, it would be bad. Let's talk to Holly from Brooklyn. Hi, Holly. Thanks for calling all of it. Hi, yes. Um, my board game is Pollyanna, but the reason why I like it is actually more sentimental. This is basically sorry, and that can be very ruthless, speaking of ruthless games. <laughs> uh, but the the board game was something I played at my grandmother's house and when she passed we weren't a, I wasn't personally able to go uh, to you know uh, you know look at all the belongings that she had and whatever and so for um, Christmas or my birthday whichever way you want to look at it it's both mm-hmm. um, two years after she passed I got the board game and I thought that it was going to go to one of my cousins who was like, oh, my God, I love this game. It brought up a lot of nostalgia for us. And when I opened up the board game in my grandmother's handwriting, it Hmm. said, next time you get to be Pollyanna. Because instead of the characters being, the the board game is basically sorry, so instead of it being colors, it's characters in the movie. And uh, Pollyanna's movie that was, Starring Haley Nails, Haley Mills from the '60s. If mm-hmm. people don't know that movie, um, and everyone wanted to be Pollyanna, obviously, because she's the protagonist and super cool. <laughs> and so, um, my my partner, um, like, I couldn't get anyone to play the game with me. And so, my current partner on our second date was the first time I got to play that game. So it's like not just a fun game because it's ruthless and entertaining and engaging, but it also has a lot of meaning. Holly, thank you so much for sharing that. That's really lovely. Yeah, that's great. Let's talk to Jesse from Staten Island. Hi, Jesse. What do you like to play? Um, Ticket to Ride is a really good game I like. Uh, also, Seven Wonders. Yep. And there's uh, Bang, which is uh, basically Mafia, but set in a spaghetti western with yep. cards. Um. Uh, let's see. Uh, Puerto Rico, San Juan, those are all, all also very good. Um, also, I wish your Chamber Street store still existed. Uh, I got mm. hired right um, uh, for a city job right before the pand- uh, right after the pandemic, uh, and I was looking to hang out there, but it closed because of it. Well, all right. Thank you for the, the sentiment. We appreciate it, Jesse. Uh, I think I said I was going to get to Ben. Hi, Ben. Ben's calling from Hoboken. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you? Doing great. What's going on? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was listening in, and um, you know, I've been a big, my family, we've been loving playing board games for, for years, and my best friend and wife, we decided to create our own. Uh, we took all these rules and ideas from you know, Ticket to Ride, Monopoly, Risk, Catan, all the, all of our favorite board games over the years. And we created Bucket Race. Uh, BucketRaceGame.com is our website. And it's a, it's a new strategy, tabletop board game. The, the first edition is a map of the United States. And what you're doing is you choose a character and then you're 
um, picking up supplies, uh, fulfilling your bucket list, and the fastest to do their bucket list wins the game. So thought very relevant and worth uh, calling in to share with, with other board game lovers. That's a fun theme. I like that. Ben, thanks for calling in. Got a text. Love Forbidden Island, collaborative rather than competitive, Mm -hmm. where you have to work together to collect objects and get off a sinking island. Yep. So I picked that text to read because collaborative rather than competitive. Yep. Let's talk etiquette. Absolutely. How do you negotiate a group of people when someone is capital S serious about the game and everybody else is kind of there for fun? Right. Well, speaking as someone who more than once has been the person who was capital S serious, I'll do my best to answer this without bias. Um, no, I, I, it, it really depends. I think – so uh, there are certain games – speaking for myself, there are certain games that really frustrate me. Ticket to Ride is one of them. Um, Ticket to Ride and Katana are actually the big ones. I just don't play those because I know I'm not fun when I play those. Uh, so I just – I take myself out of the equation for those because nobody else is going to have a good time and neither am I. Um, If you've got a player who is just being really, to a certain extent, what can you do? There's, there's not, you know, I think the best, the best thing you can do is depending on how well you Mm -hmm. know the person, you can try to remind them that this is a game game and we're here to have fun. I do think if you're talking about a group of adults, it is incumbent upon those adults as individuals to understand their own emotional state and Mm -hmm. uh, deal with it. Um, And so I don't think it's on other people to have to really do anything other than like, don't provoke them. Provoking them is probably a bad idea. If it's a kid, that's, it can be very hard. Losing can be very frustrating. So I find that if you, if you start to, to make it so that you're play so that you are playing with them rather than playing against Against them them will go a long way to getting the kid to start to relax and start to understand. And if you explain why you're doing things or why you're not doing things, Mm -hmm. that can also help a lot. Let's talk to David from the Upper West Side who has a question. Hi, David. Thanks for calling in. Hey, uh, good morning. What a fun conversation. Sir, I have a question. Yes. Uh, For those of us that are sort of not into the scene that much, I'm interested in games that generate dialogue and uh, question of and activity in a second. So the first question is an intergenerational board game, children and parents, my particular children are young 20s, something that will make us closer, that will generate discussion. I don't know if that is a board game now that I think about it. And then the second question goes in a different direction. Is there an adult section of your store? Are there board games for couples who are romantically and sexually involved with each other that would lead to some fun dialogue and non-dialogue activity? Okay, that took a turn. No, I, I like that. I'm, in, I'm into it. Uh, okay, so for the first part, for conversations, I don't know of a game off the top of my head that's going to... Well, actually, no, I lied. I can think of one. There is a game called Sign. Uh, which is uh, sign like sign language, Mm -hmm. which is, it's sort of a game. It's sort of a role-playing game where you are all um, taking on the role of students. And I I apologize, I cannot remember the name of the Mm -hmm. country, but this is a real thing that happened in in Latin America um, where a group of deaf students were sent to a school to learn Spanish uh, and they ended up just developing their own sign Mm -hmm. language. And so in this game, you have one person who runs it and everybody else has to is a is a student and what at the beginning of the game you are given an internal truth that you need to communicate to everyone else and over the course of the game over the different rounds each player is going to develop one sign 
And so as a group, you have to learn each other's signs and figure out how to modify them and figure out how to suggest what you're trying to get at. It is an incredibly emotionally powerful game if you really get into it because you're trying to communicate this thing that you just can't. Um, so that's not exactly what you're asking about, but it will I... it will draw you closer to each other <laughs> for sure. Um, as for your second question, we do not have an adult section um, just because our clientele is mostly young children and it's easier to not have to hide that from anybody. Um, but there are games like that that exist. One game we do have at the store is called Perfect Match, which is a dating game. It is specifically a dating game for Jewish couples. It was actually like what it was designed for and what it is for. Uh, And we have a pretty sizable Hasidic contingent who comes to get tables for date nights. Board games, by the way, are a great date night. Um, (laughs) But Perfect Match is a very popular game with, with that group. Hope that helps you out, David. Marilyn from West Orange, New Jersey, has a fantastic story. Yeah, hello. Hello. Um. My favorite game ever in my life was 53 years ago when I was playing Monopoly mm-hmm. and I was nine one pre- months pregnant and went into labor and my friends, we were all sitting around a table. We had a great game and I laughed so hard that my water broke. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Marilyn. Thank you. Well, can I ask a question? Um, how are you doing in the game at the time? Yeah. Were you winning? Uh, I don't even. It didn't even matter. We were just <laughs> laughing so hard. I, I have to tell you, my immediate thought was, "Did you finish the game?" <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn, thank you for calling in to share your story. Sarah from Brooklyn says, "I live in a studio apartment with limited space mm. and no real table. What are games that are engaging for a small group but don't require large amounts of space or surfaces yeah, to that, play?" That is a challenge, um, and I think unfortunately games are are go- heading in a trend of taking up more and more. More space. Mm. I think uh, if your main issue is table space, I think your best bets are going to be card games or party games because they don't actually take up very much space. There's a card game called Bonanza, which is uh, very, very competitive and violent at two to three players and becomes just a blast at six mm-hmm. or seven. That's a great one. Trick-taking games, like I mentioned earlier, are great options. There's a party game called That's Not a Hat, which is a sort of bluffing slash memory game that's wonderful and takes up no more space than you need for the people who are playing it. Let's see. Uh, got a couple questions about design. Yeah. So this is a, this is a tweet. Um, can you ask your guests to expound on the aesthetic importance of a well-designed game box? Putting pieces of material into a poorly designed box can be frustrating mm-hmm. enough to ruin a good time. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it it is important, I think, that a game be aesthetically pleasing. I'm very simple. My favorite games to look at are old abstract games, which is games, I'm not talking about Chinese checkers or chess, but games like Chinese checkers or chess, where it's all like wooden cubes and a grid and just very simple pieces. Um, But the product design of games is is a tricky thing. And, um, you know, Terraforming Mars is one of the most popular games in existence, and it has a terrible box. You just (laughs) chuck all the pieces in there. There's nothing. There are no bags there's no dividers there's no anything and so every time you open it it's an exercise unless you get bags and rubber bands and everything it is an exercise in pain and, and i don't think that's particularly acceptable uh we have somebody who i and i may say this and i don't know what i'm saying so please 
uh, informing. All right, I'm ready. Can you talk about the board game renaissance and some of the heavier designers like Vital Lacerda? Yeah, Stefan Vital Lacerda. Feld, Vital yep. Lacerda, thank yep. you. Or Stefan Feld, et cetera? Absolutely. So uh, the board game renaissance almost timed out with the Disney renaissance, now that I think about it. Um, we can date it pretty much to 1994-95 when Settlers of Catan, as it was called at the time, came out. Uh, board games have been popular in extremis in Germany and a lot of Europe for a very long time. They have become much more popular here in the last, particularly in the last five years, but in the last 20 or so years. What this uh, what this listener is referring to is there has been an absolute blossoming of designs since the mid-90s in terms of complexity, developing different kinds of uh, different kinds of mechanisms, so different kinds of games where you're doing different things. Vital Lacerda is a very well-known designer um, within the hobby. So if you are a mm. person who considers themselves a board gamer, you're familiar with Vital Lacerda. Uh, his games are, you can think of them as just being a giant series of interlocking gears, and you have to figure out how to pull the right levers to get those gears to work for you. Stefan Feld has been around for a long time. I actually played a Stefan Feld game this morning. Oh. Castles of Burgundy is probably his most famous game, and I played it online with a friend of mine in Poland about three hours ago. I love that sentence with a friend of mine in Poland. Yeah. We have time for one last call. So I'm going to go with Deborah in Brooklyn. Deborah, real quick. Hi. Um, thank you so much. Um, I was calling in because my son, who is a teenager, um, attended an after school that was similar to the one um, that you guys host. And he's really, I don't know if it's him or the training, he's really, really good at all these super complicated games. He's great at game strategy at like, you know, tiny towns and citadels and yeah. Splendor and all these games. So I'm looking for a game that I might have a chance of winning mm. against him. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I think maybe your best bet is probably going to be an auction game of some kind, um, particularly an auction game where you can't math out everything. So for, for myself, I really like games where there is a certain amount of strategy, but also a certain amount of luck, because I love the drama. Mm -hmm. That's what I that's what I want. I want that, oh, that like that, you know, <laughs> this terrible thing has happened. Um, auction games, you can only math them out so far. Um, there is a great auction game called Ra, like the Egyptian god. It sounds kind of like I'm saying raw, but I'm not. Um, Ra just came out in a new edition last year. It's a terrific game. It's a little bit difficult to learn, but it sounds like you've got a solid enough foundation that I'm not worried about that for you. And that's one where I think it'll even out just because of the chance involved in what's going to come up for auction. Everyone who called in, thank you so much for calling in with your recommendations. Our lines were full. We might have to have you back. Sure. Okay. Uh, thanks, everybody who texted as well. My guest has been Andrew Lynch. He's a community development and inventory manager at the Brooklyn Strategist. Thanks a lot. Bye. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com slash WNYC and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com slash WNYC and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.